morning. Thank you very much, Gordon. If you have a Bible, I could invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 2. It's page 1145. And we're going to read from where we left off last week at the end of verse 5. And we're going to read through to the end of the chapter. Now, this is uh, somewhat tricky and technical little section of Paul's letter. So uh, I kind of need you to bear with me this morning. But let's uh, backtrack for a moment and recall why Paul put pen to paper in the first place. What prompted him to write this letter? Well, this church, which he had helped to establish less than five years ago, in the busy and commercial and immoral city of, of Corinth, this church was in danger of imploding and fracturing as a result of growing disunity and, and a lack of harmony. And so Paul pours out his heart and he appeals to the Christians in that city church to address their problems and heal their seeping wounds of divisiveness. And so far, he's, he's gone about doing that in, in a, at least a couple of ways. To start with, he, he gets them to concentrate on the positives. And so right up front, and we looked at this in week one, right up front, Paul affirms and encourages them. He reminds them who they are. He says, listen, you're saints. That's your identity. You have been called by God to be his holy people, set apart, distinctively different. Plus, he reminds them of God's grace in their lives, how God has enriched them, and gifted them. And finally, in the first nine verses of chapter one, he confirms, listen, God's going to keep you. He's going to keep you firm. He's going to keep you strong. He's going to keep you grounded right to the very end so that one day, one day, you're going to be blameless. And so Paul starts by focusing on the positives. Then from verse 18 of chapter 1 through to verse 5 of chapter 2, and we spent a couple of weeks on this, Paul then turns attention to the basis of their unity, which is the cross. Christ and him crucified because, to borrow a phrase from Stephen Covey, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And four and a half years ago, whenever Paul arrived in Corinth, that was all he talked about. That was all he shared, that was all he preached. Christ and him crucified, not with eloquence, not with human wisdom. He just spoke simply, plainly. And he just shared the message of the cross, which he said was the wisdom of God. Yes, for some it's a stumbling block, for others it's moronic. But for those who are being saved, i.e. you, church, for those of you who are being saved, it's the power of God. And so into their disunity and their splinter groups, Paul speaks about the centrality of the cross. So focus on the positives. Remember who you are. Remember what God has done. Secondly, focus on Jesus. Focus on the cross because the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And then thirdly, based on today's text, focus on true wisdom. You see, wisdom was a massive deal in that culture and context. It was highly praised and valued and celebrated. 
But Paul was deeply concerned that the, that the church and the Christians in Corinth were in grave danger of blurring the lines between human wisdom and godly wisdom. It's really easy to do. Happened then, still happens today. Now listen, human wisdom is fine. It's good. But whenever it comes to the big questions of life, what really matters? Where we came from, why we're here, who is God? How do we define morality? Where do we find true joy and real peace? What is the message of the cross except? Well, then pure human wisdom, or if you want to put it like this, human philosophy, is always going to come up short. It's never going to provide all the answers. The critical answers, the kind of life changing life transforming answers it's certainly never going to save you or anyone else for that matter but godly wisdom is entirely different that's what you need to praise that's what you need to value that's what you need to celebrate and that's what paul came to declare as he says and we'll read in a moment and so that's what they need to focus on you need to focus on true wisdom, not on popularity contests or whatever it else that's ripping you apart as a community. You need to focus on wisdom. So let's uh, stand for the public reading of God's word and let's hear what Paul says about this godly wisdom. And do listen out for a kind of couple of stunning realities that he highlights near to the end. Verse 6, chapter 2. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thought of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given. This is what we speak, not in words taught best by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man or the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God because they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things. But he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Please take a seat. Now all I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to attempt 
stress that word. I'm going to attempt to walk you through this. So if you can see a copy of God's word, it's probably going to at least keep you with me uh, for as long as possible. So let's, let's walk our way through this. Verse 6. Paul makes it clear that he is. He says, listen, I'm speaking a message of wisdom. Some people, yes, may question it. They had then, they still do today. They will contest it. They will comment on it. They'll actually think, listen, it's gibberish. It's far too simplistic. But irrespective of what anybody thinks, Paul says, listen, I am speaking to you a message of wisdom. True wisdom. The real thing. But notice the next phrase. Who does Paul speak it to? He says, I'm speaking it among the mature. Who's that? Who's the mature? Is that some special select group? Some elite in crowd? Some super Christians? Premier League believers? No. It's simply those who have embraced the message of the cross. In other words, it's every Christian. It's every person who has accepted and believed in the crucified Christ. They are the mature ones. Why are they mature? For this reason and this reason alone. They get it. They get it. But for those who don't, who don't get, who are not mature, who don't get the message of the cross, for whom it doesn't make a lot of sense, and as I say, it didn't a couple of thousand years ago, it was more of an obstacle and it was more of a nonsense, And for many people, they still don't get the message of the cross today, which is why many people in our world say or think things along these lines. Do you honestly expect, I'm sure you've heard this, do you honestly expect us to believe that the focal point of history, the crux of human destiny, hangs on one guy, on one cross, on one hill, at one point in time, two millennia ago. Sorry, but nobody wise in the head still believes that. Let's keep reading. Because as Paul clarifies, you see, it's a different wisdom he's talking about. It's not the wisdom, look at verse 6, it's not the wisdom of this age. It's not the wisdom of the rulers of this this age. That wisdom, their wisdom, can't explain this. Can't get their heads round it. And for every age and every period of time, including this one, there are new and there are different philosophies, popular thinking, that comes and goes. And according to Paul, end of verse 6, all of those things ultimately come to nothing. They're empty. They're ineffective. You see, that's because the wisdom that Paul is speaking and that we still speak today is different. And so there is, there's going to be a disconnect for many people. They're not going to get it. This is a different wisdom. It's not a human construct. It's much deeper. It's much more profound And so he continues, look at verse 7, he says, no, we're not speaking the wisdom of this age, we're not speaking the wisdom of the rulers of this age, no, we declare, he says, God's wisdom, 
And then he goes on to describe it. And here's how he describes it. It's a mystery that has been hidden and that God has destined for our glory before time began. Now, at one level, and if you just take that at face value, it, it does seem that, that this wisdom that Paul is talking about, this different wisdom, is just beyond anyone. It's out of reach. Not only is it divine, I mean, it's God's wisdom, it's supernatural, it's out of this world, but it's also a mystery. Worse still, it's hidden. And so even though it is destined for our glory, which sounds great, as he says, it's unaccessible or inaccessible. And so it's no wonder, verse 8, that none of the religious rulers of the authority of that day's got it because if they had then they wouldn't have crucified Jesus but as you continue to read on the first word of verse 9 should grab our attention bold print however writes Paul so, so, so that isn't that, that, that isn't it it's, we're not finished here there's, there's more to be said however as it is written. Now, kind of need to pause there because where exactly this next little bit is written or where it comes from is not entirely clear. Some people think it, it, it's a kind of quote from Isaiah 64, but if it is, it's not a very accurate quote. And therefore, most commentators think it is a quote from a lost source, from an ancient Jewish book known to some of the early church but is now lost to us. Either way, either way, what Paul says here as being written is incredibly exciting and positive. It's actually mind-altering. And the Lord is sometimes read at funerals. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those. Who, that, that's kind of ripping it out of context. It's actually written into the here and now. It's for the present. This can be our current experience. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. In other words, this godly wisdom, this message of the cross is beyond your wildest dreams. It doesn't just exceed human wisdom, it actually ex exceeds human imagination. And so for those who love God, for the mature, for those who get this, and as I say, not everybody will, not everybody does, but for those who get this, they can see, hear, and conceive of things that should blow our minds, expand our vision, and shatter our eardrums, or sound like music to our ears is maybe better the message of the cross the message that we have just been thinking about around this table is godly wisdom that has been destined for our glory and if we if we and if the corinthian church could have but if we still can retain that focus then as far as Paul's concerned, you know something that'll put an end to your quarreling. It'll put an end to your divisions. Put an end to your disunity. Just focus on godly wisdom. 
the message of the cross. And just in case they or, or we are struggling to get or understand how this is possible, because, okay, if, if, if this message is, is divine, it's a mystery, it's hidden. Look at verse 10. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. Or these are the things that God has revealed to us by his Spirit. Human wisdom is never going to get this. Human philosophy is never going to explain this. Popular thinking is never going to get their heads round this. Human beings will never find God on their own. Never going to answer the big questions of life and meaning. But God in his amazing grace and mercy has revealed it to us. It's no longer secret. The hidden has been disclosed. And how? By his spirit. You see, our salvation, and, and I know, as I say, in some ways this is quite head, maybe not a lot of heart this morning. But our salvation is a work of the spirit. He, the spirit of God, searches the deep things of God, as it says in the second half of verse 10, and only the spirit of God can search the deep things of God. And he does that, look at the end of verse 12, so that we, the Spirit does this for us so that we can understand what has been freely given to us. And what has been freely given to us? Well, amongst other things, God so loved us that he gave his only son. We can't get our heads around that ourselves. Human wisdom can't fathom it. But God, by his spirit, has revealed it to many people sitting in this room. Just like those Paul was writing to at this church in Corinth, they have received this message. It's been revealed to them, not because somebody's explained it, but because God, by his spirit, has disclosed it to them. It's not something they've discovered for themselves. God has revealed it to them, disclosed it to them. By his spirit who searches the deep things of God and makes them known to us. And that is honestly mind-blowing. And so if you are a Christian here this morning, I hope and pray that you and I will focus on godly wisdom, focus on the message of the cross that has been received and revealed to us by the spirit of God. And that, that will mean we will give thanks, and I hope we have this morning, give thanks like we've never done before. Thank you, God, that you've revealed this to me. Don't understand why me. Thank you. Thank you. And Paul then makes or emphasizes the point in verse thing, 13, sorry. Again, he seems to need to keep going over this. He says, listen, I'm not saying what I'm saying from human wisdom. This is not personal opinion. These are not my learned thoughts, but rather these are God-inspired words. Listen to what he says. We speak words given to us by the Spirit. So, so Paul's not just sharing his thoughts with this church. These are thoughts that, that God has given him to say. I'm using the Spirit's words, he says, to explain spiritual truths. Do you know the reason that we're reading this letter? 
The reason that, that we read the Bible every week at Windsor and attempt to reflect on it is because we passionately believe that these words are still inspired. We still believe that all scripture is God-breathed. And therefore, it continues to speak. It continues to reveal godly wisdom to us. There's so much more to discover. Not for ourselves, but because God reveals it to us. It continues to be useful for teaching and correcting and rebuking and equipping. These are more than Paul's words to the Corinthian church. These are God's words. And these are more than the apostles' words to us. These are God's words. And so we've got to listen carefully, even if it does stretch our minds. But the fact is, as he goes on, not, not everyone is going to accept them. There will be those, he says, who can't understand. And he keeps coming back to this and he keeps repeating it as if, I really need you to get your heads around this. There are those who just don't get it, who can't understand it, who think it's foolishness, who think it's nonsense, who hardly think it's worth listening to. And how does Paul identify those people? Look at this. He says, these are people without the spirit. Or if you have a King James version of the Bible, these are the natural men and women. The person who isn't yet a Christian. Those who are depending on human wisdom and human philosophy and popular thinking to make sense of the big questions of life. And so I suppose one of the questions we've got to ask ourselves this morning is, is who are we listening to? Who are we depend? What are we depending on? Paul calls this church at Corinth to focus on the wisdom of God, which has been revealed to them by his spirit, and to realize just how incredible and amazing that is, that it's greater that you can see, it's greater that you can hear, it's greater that you can imagine, and therefore, again, please, stop quarreling. Sort out these divisions. Focus on godly wisdom. Paul isn't quite finished. Because as he continues in 15 and 16, as I said at the start, he confirms two stunning realities about every Christian which if they could get their heads round, actually has the potential to alter everything. I'm nearly done. This can change how you do life, how you make choices, how you relate to each other, which for Paul is the key issue here. And these two realities are this. We have the Spirit of God. We have the mind of Christ. Now what does that mean? Well, in verse 24, Paul says... The person with the Spirit. So in other words, he's just talked about the person who doesn't have the Spirit, the natural person. Now he says, the person with the Spirit, those who are mature, those who get it. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. You see, the Spirit of God who indwells every Christian, who enlightens, who instructs, regulates, and guides, that spirit therefore means that we are able to evaluate the worth of all things. Do you know that? We can make judgments on all things. A 
according to this. Because, not because of us, but because we have the Spirit. And if you think about it, that is a game changer. You see, we're not left to be a city church on our own, doing our own thing, depending on our own ideas, muddling our way through with our own wisdom, relating to one another on a purely human level. We have the Spirit of God who enables and inspires us to make a good call on all things. That's what this means. So whenever we meet together in small groups, bigger groups, whatever kind of groups, and we're trying to wrestle with decisions, we have got the Spirit of God who enables us to make judgments about all things. That gives me incredible hope. (laughs) It's not about us. It's not about us. It's about what God is doing in us and through us. We have the Spirit of God. But it's more than that. Because with the Spirit's help, help, Christians can tune into the thoughts, plans, and will of Jesus. We have the mind of Christ. All of his wisdom, love, and humility is available to every one of us. Because we have a Spirit. Therefore, Christ-likeness is possible. Therefore, We can live this life that we're called to live. Therefore, we can walk as Jesus walked. We can relate to one another as Christ related to others. And therefore, all this quarreling and these factions and this disunity and this lack of harmony as far as Paul is concerned, listen, it's a contradiction. It's a contradiction in spirit-infused believers who have this priceless possession, the mind of Christ. You know, we could spend the rest of today looking at what it means to have the mind of Christ. But we're going to sing a closing song, and this maybe was the obvious song in a sense to close with. May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day, it's this next bit, by his love and power controlling all I do and say. We can do this. I mean, Everything we do and everything we say can make a difference, can make an impact, can be countercultural, can be God-honoring, can be God-pleasing. Why? Because we have the mind of Christ. And so that is my prayer for us as a city church, that we will focus on godly wisdom, the message of the cross, which has been revealed to us by the Spirit of God who now indwells us we have him we can make judgments on all things and because we have his Spirit we also have the mind of Christ (laughs) isn't that amazing (laughs) I hope despite the heaviness of all of that there is something in there to encourage and call us on let's stand together and sing may the mind of Christ my Saviour